If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now today we've got Larry Cutler on again. Larry's been on before. He's um, 594 and um, I think the title there was Australian Stock Horse Society National Judging Assessor. So he's come along, he's got a wealth of information. He's not just been a competitor. He's not just bred horses but, you know, judge and then um, assessing judge. So how are you today, Larry? Yeah, very well, thanks, Glennis. Thanks for having me on again. Oh, thanks, Larry. Thanks for coming on now. You're going to talk about the 10 points of a top-class horse, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I think that even if you've got, you know, I know you love your stock horses and love them as working horses, but I think these points would apply to any breed of horses. Would you agree with me on that, you know? A top-class horse is a top-class horse. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's no doubt about that. I think if you get all the fundamentals correct, Yes. then it doesn't matter whether you're a show jumper or looking to breed race horses or mm. polo cross or camp drafting or anything you want to do. If you yep. get the basics right, you can. the horses are as good as the riders that sit on them then. Perfect, perfect. All right, so the first point we're going to talk about is temperament. Do you want to tell us about the temperament of the horse that you're looking for? Now, remember, too, that this top-class horse that we're looking for, we, you know, you tell me, Larry, we're looking for an athlete, for one that can go out and do the work that you want. Yep, yep. correct. Yep, yep. So, so temp- temperament, I feel, is, is very important for any horse, mm-hmm. as we said earlier, regardless of what you want to do with them. Um as a breaker and trainer, I know the horses that came in, there were some horses that came in and everything you wanted to do with them, it was going to be a fight. They just yeah. um, didn't want to relax. They didn't want to work with you. They they just wanted to make everything a fight. And then when you get a horse that comes along that's just got a willing temperament that just wants to work with you, they are so much easier to deal with and to teach and, and they take everything on board that you teach them and Really, once you've had a few of those, you you don't want to go back to the ones that just want to fight you all the time. Sure, sure. No, I can completely understand that. So we've got the temperament right. There was something that you did say that you liked a calm, intelligent horse, not to be confused with a quiet, dumb horse. Just tell us a little bit about how we can recognise the horse as calm and intelligent and not a quiet, dumb horse. I think, um, yeah, you, you you can handle horses and ride horses that are that are nice and quiet. They're mm-hmm. not they're not out to buck everyone off and do silly things. But I have ridden some horses that were very very quiet, but they would walk into a fence. They would stumble over things because yeah. they weren't concentrating on what they were doing. And I sort of call them quiet dumb horses, and mm-hmm. and they can be as dangerous as a horse that's um, that's real silly. So. Yep. I think a I think a calm, sensible, intelligent horse is uh, is the horse we're all looking for. Okay. And and by that I mean a horse that's sort of you know they 
they're alert, but they're not looking to be naughty or, or misbehave. Yep, yep, yep. Now, the next thing we're going to talk about is type and confirmation, which may vary a bit according to the breed, but can you give us a good um, description of what you're looking for in a top-class horse? Yeah, well, I, I always look for a, a horse that's uh, short-coupled and stands over a lot of ground, mm-hmm. and for them to be able to do that, they have to have a nice long hip and they have to have a really good slope on their shoulder. Now, horses that um, don't stand over a lot of ground tend to be straighter in the shoulder and shorter in the hip, and they tend to be rougher horses to ride. Yes. Um, horses that have a that can stand over a lot of ground and still be short coupled on top are horses that are well conformed through the hind quarter and through the front end. Yeah. I also like a horse that's just slightly higher in the wither than they are in the rut. So we call that an uphill ride. That that's always a really comfortable horse to ride usually. Mm. Whereas Mm. horses that are lower in the wither than they are in the hip, you're sort of riding downhill and they can often hit the ground a bit harder and be a rough for horse to ride um, in front. That's all. But that's the picture I look for. So when Horses walk into a judging ring that I'm judging and they, by the time they've done one circle, I've, I've worked out whether it's a horse I'd like to ride or not. Mm. And um, and they're the sort of things that I'm looking for that makes a horse comfortable to ride and and capable of doing the job that I need them to do. Yep, yep. Now, if we talk about movement, I know that, you know, you've got to look at it from a judge's point of view, but because you've done so much competitive riding anyway and just riding to get to the level of competitive riding you've got to be thinking of a move you know the movement has got to be comfortable for rides so as a judge you're looking for not something that is flashy but something that's comfortable to ride is that right do you want to talk a bit more about that yeah well I mean initially when a horse walks into a a ring they're at a walk and they're being led on the ground and I like to see a horse that can really walk I, I like them to overstride um, I don't want to be hearing the um, shoes clipping on each other, so yeah. they need to be able to overstride but still have a, enough um, strength in their gait that they're not overstriding and clipping the, the heels in front. Um, they, uh, I, I think a walk, a really good, strong, straight walk and a nice, soft canter uh, are two of the most pleasurable things that you can have when you're riding a horse. Uh-huh. And as a kid growing up, my grandfather and father always said that, you know, a, a horse needs to be able to walk really fast and canter really slow. So <laughs> um, have that nice um, soft canter that you can just sit there for hours if you had to or or a horse that when he's walking, he's actually going somewhere. He's not just dawdling. Mm, mm, mm. Now, I know this is this next one sometimes a bit hard to describe, the presence. You know, what's one horse? What is it that one horse is going to stand out from a herd or from a ring of horses? What are we looking for there? Yeah, it it is hard to explain, but um, horses that have got presence uh, are horses that, you know, when you see, you know, sometimes you'll have 20 horses in a class and there'll be one horse in that class that when he walks in, he's just got a little bit of that. You hear other people say, it's a look at me attitude and mm. um, I think that presence is all about I mean when I was playing polo cross you would every now and then you'd come up against a horse that was that was just really 
smart and clever at what they did and just had that bit of confidence in what they do, I think that's got a lot to do with their presence. I think if the horse is confident in whether it's camp drafting, polo cross or, or in the show ring, a horse that's generally pretty confident is a horse that's got presence. And they they walk around as if they own the place. And um, you can see it a mile away. I was always told if you had to look underneath a stallion to see whether he was a stallion, then he probably wasn't. <laughs> they need they they need to have that presence about them that when they when they're around, people look at them and go, "Wow, you know, that yep. that's a really nice horse." Yeah, yeah. And I think you know all these points that you're saying, Larry. You know, the ten points of a top class horse. You know, I know that when people first start looking at horses, it, it's just a different colours going to attract them. You know, it might even be 20 bays and browns and chestnuts um, and one grey horse and they go, wow, what's that? Or one palomino or one broken coloured horse or one that's a little bit stand out. But as you're going through it, you're saying there's much more. I haven't even got colour on here. You know, you're just you're saying there's all of these other things that a really top-class horse is considerate. You know, we've talked about temperament, type confirmation, movement presence, and I'm going to ask you now about natural ability. Yeah, well, you know, really good trainers can get horses um, doing whatever they want them to do. But Mm -hmm. the difference between teaching a horse that's got natural ability to do it and teaching a horse that's got no natural ability is sometimes twice the, the work Yes, and and you can often end up with a horse that's that's only half as good in the end anyway. But and that natural ability can be, you know, just uh, the ability of a horse um, playing polo cross. That horse that can just drop down in the shoulder and sweep around and and let get you down to pick the ball up and things like that. There, that's natural. You you can teach a horse so much, but. You know, you could get three horses in a row, teach them exactly the same things, and one will be brilliant, one mm-hmm. will be average, and one will be a waste of time. And yeah. uh, it's that natural ability. Camp drafting's exactly the same. My, my my old stallion here, you couldn't drive him past a, a beast. He would just run straight to the shoulder and sit there. And, and you know, you can't you can train them a little bit to do that, but yep. if it's not naturally there, then they wander off and they've got their mind on other things and that's when um, you lose control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Natural ability is something uh, horses have either got it or they haven't, and it, and it can be, you know, for show jumping, you know, a horse that's got natural ability to jump. You've only got to watch 10 or a dozen horses show jump, and you see the ones that love doing what they're doing and can really jump, and others that are there because the rider wants them to be there, yeah. not because the horses are, are being there. Yeah, yeah. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available, and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now, and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page, and click on the 101 Careers in the Horse Industry button 
to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Tell us about heart. You know, if we talk about a horse's heart, are we talking about the size of their heart or a little bit different, a little bit more? Yeah, I suppose when I say a horse has to have a, a big mm, heart, I'm, yeah. I'm talking about a horse that when we're competing or even if I'm working, it, it's the horse that when you're buggered is going to give you that little bit more and um, no different, like I played a lot of sport and, um, you know, the the if you've got to draw the last little bit of effort you can, they're, they're the ones that you want on your side and... Uh, Horses are no different. It's uh, it's the ability of that horse to give you everything they've got to compete in whatever you're going to compete in. And uh, some horses just won't give you that. They, they they always want to keep plenty in reserve, and often you're only getting maybe sixty percent, seventy percent of what that horse's capability is. But when you do get around to riding a horse that'll give you everything, they yeah, it is just. It's a great feeling to sit on a horse that you know is going to give you everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it's sort of jumping around a little bit. We've gone from the heart, but the head, you know, heart and the head. Is it that the broader the forehead, the more brains they have? Is that the theory? Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> yeah, I think, well, I, I've heard that lots and I've been told mm. that from the time I was a little bloke that, okay. um, yeah, the, the broader the forehead, the more brains is in there. Um, I think uh, in physical reasons for that, um, the fact that the eyes are set uh, broader um, gives them more vision, mm-hmm. um, more peripheral vision. So when a horse can see a lot going on around them, they don't send, tend to panic as much. If you get those narrow-headed horses, they've got their eyes sort of set closer together and they can't often see as much or as broad a vision as what that broad forehead gives the horses. Yep, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've, I've always, I mean, initially you just, I just got told that you know, the broader the forehead and, and filled in above the eyes, you'll have a horse with brains and it's quiet. But when you talk to the, the vets about the reason for that, they'll tell you that it's all about a horse having um, their eyes uh, set wider apart, um, and because of that, they've got more peripheral vision. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that tends to make a horse quieter and calmer because they've got better vision. Yeah, yeah. Now we talked about the eyes. I love big eyes. You tell me, what do you think about the size of the eyes? What are big eyes? What are little eyes? What are we looking for within the eyes? Yeah, I, I think uh, when you uh, approach a horse for the first time, um, I think those I like a horse to be looking at me, and and those big eyes, you know, they're seeing everything, mm. and you can see before you even put a hand on a horse whether they've got a kind eye or whether they've got that little piggy sort of eye about them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people say that the horse's head's only there to hang the bridle on, and <laughs> and that's probably that's probably right to a certain extent, but um, I think the uh, I like a horse with a nice, big, kind eye, and uh, if you get that and you handle them quietly, they're the horses that I think um, are a great start for anyone. I I found those little piggy-eyed horses, and again, those narrow-headed horses tended to have smaller, piggier eyes as well. 
and um, they were horses that, yeah, I, I just walked straight past if I was looking to buy a horse. You know, you talked about the physical reason for the broad forehead. Is there a physical reason for the bigger eye rather than the little eye? Uh, well, I don't, I don't really know. I guess okay. I'm not a vet. I, I just, uh, I look at horses and I find those, um, and you'll see it in all breeds. It's Oof. not just one breed that can do it. I've seen, uh, uh, like my grandfather had big harness horses, and you know the Clydesdales had the broad foreheads and big eyes, and yeah. there was also Clydesdales I've seen with narrow heads and and smaller eyes, so they're in all breeds, mm, um, mm. but and the same in, you know, our stock horses and and thoroughbreds and quarter horses and Arabs, you know, like every breed's got horses that have got the, the broad foreheads and the big eyes, and yeah. they've all got the, the narrow heads and the little eyes. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, just it's just something that I look for, and uh, I've always found those, those big eyes on a on a nice broad forehead horse is a is a really good sign that they're going to be a pretty sensible horse usually. Yeah. yeah. What about the legs, Larry? What should we look for in the legs? You know, the sizes of the legs, the um, proportions of the legs. Yeah. I look. I um, because I've generally worked with working horses and sporting horses. The um, a short cannon bone um, mm-hmm. was always important, and um, yeah. I, like, I don't like horses that are offset in the knees at all because they're the horses that um, that really struggle when you put a lot of pressure on them. Yep. And in the um, in the hocks department, I've I've seen a lot of horses break down in the last few years through the hocks when I've particularly um, horses that are being trained um, like cutting and and working horses where they're getting broken in at 20 months and two-year-old and they're expected to be doing a lot of haunch turns and, you know, the angles they get those hocks on and screwing around in often deep sand is um, really hard on those hocks on yeah. young horses. Yeah. And, you know, the, the outperformance horses are the same as the thoroughbred industry. For some reason, we want to get them so good, so young, and, you know, there's money there for those two- and three-year-old faturities and, we put a lot of pressure on those young horses to get them up, and a lot of them, unfortunately, do end up um, getting injured through the hocks and the knees, and and that's just you know through concussion at, at young ages while their while their legs are still developing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The last question I've got because we haven't covered it yet is to do with angles. You know, are there any particular angles that we should be looking for? Probably more so to do with the hoof? You know, what should we be looking for there? Yeah, well, I mean, when you look at a at a horse, the, the angles of a horse are really important. So the angle of the shoulder is usually exactly the same as the angle of the paston. Yep. And then the angle of your paston should again be the same angle that, that your hoof um, hits the ground. So all if all those angles align, then there's no problem at all. You should have a nice, soft and easy ride. So the straighter your shoulder, then all of a sudden you've got straight pastons and then you have a lot more upright um, hooves, which again causes concussion when they hit the ground. You've got a lot less give through those joints and that's where horses often break down. 
Um, and the same through the hocks in the hindquarters. If they're too straight down through the hocks, and you will then have straighter pastons. And again, when those horses have to, you know, sit down in their hindquarter to turn or to stop, um, they really, really put a lot of jarring through those joints. And that's when you can have a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. I've always found, I've always shot my own horses up until a few years ago. And, um, you know, there was lots of arguments about black hooves and white hooves and, you know, white hooves are, are softer and all the rest of it. And, I, I would tend to agree with that. Um, there's always exceptions to the rule, but the uh, I know in the summertime, unshod horses, when you bring them in, it's a damn lot harder to, to try and um, cut black hooves back and trim them up than it is white ones. So, <laughs> and, and I found if a horse was going to throw a shoe, it was often on that white hoof rather than the black hooves. Yes, but, um, yep. That, that, that just comes from sort of what I've, I had a a horse when I was young, and it was a stock horse, actually, and it had four white feet. And Every time my grandfather saw it, he'd he'd say to me, no white feet, buy a horse, uh, one white foot, uh, try them. Yep, two white feet look well about them, or three white feet look well about them, and four white feet go well without them. That's the way, Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. I think uh, I think you and my grandfather must have been talking. I bet the horse always had problems with shoes anyway. You know, always was throwing shoes and yeah. had a bit of a problem there. Okay. Well, I think a lot of people aren't aware that um, the white colour. So white colours is actually a uh, is a pigment um, problem. Yep. So. Um, and yet, all the people I hear today talking about bling. I mean, bling is the is about the worst thing you can be trying to get more and more bling on there is actually breeding more and more problems in your horses. Mm, mm. Yep. Anyway. All right. Look, I, I think you've you've absolutely covered it. You know, you talk about a top-class horse, and as I said before, you know, when you first start looking at horses, you don't really know what you're looking for, and you're looking for a, a horse that stands out, you know, whether it's got the presence or it's just a different colour to all the others. That's the one that you're looking for at first. But what you've done here is said, well, look, the horse could just be a plain standard bay with nothing else, but this is the type of horse I'm looking for. And I think a good horse person is going to look for exactly the same 10 points that you've just pointed out, Larry. I think, you know, good horse is a good horse and uh, does it regardless of colour. Yeah, well, I've, I've had plenty of people tell me you never ride a good horse that's a bad colour. <laughs> so if you... If you get a good horse, you've got a good horse, and uh, it doesn't matter what colour they are. Exactly, exactly. Larry, great talking to you again. The information you shared here, I think it's really good, really good for people who are looking at horses and just aren't quite sure what they're looking at. They've at least got some points now to go about and start, you know, go out to a show or a competition and start being a judge themselves and um, get a little bit involved in just judging from the sidelines to develop their eye, to look at, why that judge is picking that and they can look at these 10 points of a top-class horse and and realise probably if they look on these 10 points why the judge has picked out that particular horse as the winner. Yeah. I think it's uh, one thing I say when I'm teaching judging is you need to have a picture in your head of Mm -hmm. what your perfect animal looks like. So you can look at thousands and thousands of photographs. You pick up a a copy of Horse Deals magazines and mm-hmm. there's thousands of photos in there and you'll flick through that and then all of a sudden one will take your eye and the one that takes your eye 
have a look at it and and see why it takes your eye. And yes. and it's probably the horse that's ticking all the boxes of what we've just talked about. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, and good. it just takes years of experience to be able to look at a horse and go, "Yep, that one's that one's what I'm after," or "That one's stepping short," or "That one's you know got something a little bit wrong with it." Yep. And when you find the problem then you go back and find the reason for the problem. Yes, yes, yes. So if a horse is stepping short, it'll be because there's something wrong conformationally further up in the leg, yeah, Mm -hmm. or or whatever. So Keeps teaching it to look at the horses, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, thank you, and um, love to have you back again. I think the points that you've brought up, you know, if anyone hasn't listened to the first chat that Larry did, go back to 594, and we sort of had a good overview, but – you know, Larry talks about his beginning and how he got into, you know, competing and judging and being a judge, uh, a judge assessor. So we look forward to catching up with you again, Larry. But if people would like to talk to you, you know, about stock horses, about looking at horses, anything else, is your website the best Carabar Park or should they have a phone number? All those details will be on horse chats anyway. But would you like to give out yeah, a phone number while you're there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than welcome to talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. It's zero double four eight one nine four five double nine. Yep, perfect. And there's a Caraba Park and Bopolo Facebook sites as well that um, keep people up to date pretty much on what's going on with the horses and what we're doing. No worries at all. All right, Larry, it's great to talk to you and hopefully we'll catch up with you sometime soon. My pleasure and have a Merry Christmas. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.